Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Derek Rotzinger, a gentleman that I've met over the years here in Nicaragua who really became intriguing to me as I got to know him in more detail recently. And he has a really cool story about coming to Nicaragua and what kind of drove him here. And then what I found most fascinating though is his decision to, instead of building his own business, he purchased one, which I'm excited to kind of get into the details of that about. But with that said, Derek, welcome to the show. Happy to have you, brother. Thanks, Chapin. Honor to be here. Yeah, man. It's good to do this with you. Um, maybe you can just kind of bring us up to present, like go a little bit into your past and where you come from and a little bit about your upbringing, please. Yeah, I'd ha be happy to. Um, so I was born and raised in San Diego, California. Grew up in a very happy home with both my parents. Had a younger sister. Kind of moved around a bit, um, but stayed in San Diego all growing up. Um, family had me traveling since I was a little, little grommet. Um, what kind of trips were you taking? Like, where were you going? Internationally or domestically? It started just within the States, you know, various cities, just as family, little trips. And then, um, about when I was 13, um, my dad got me into surfing and then we, kind of travel to Costa Rica and a couple surf destinations. And, uh, yeah, really got into it. And in 2003, graduated high school. And right after I graduated, my father had experienced a pretty massive stroke. And this was really out of the blue. It shook our whole family. He wasn't even 50 yet. Um, really healthy guy, big surfer, um, he is a really pretty well-known architect at the time. So he was remodeling and was always staying busy. It was, uh, really surprising for us. So that kind of shook us, but, um, her mother kept the family together a bit. And, um, that was kind of the situation until, well, maybe I can ask, you know, with your dad having this sudden stroke and, obviously changing the dynamic of the present situation. Can I ask like, what were the consequences of the stroke? I mean, it's obviously a, a shocking thing to have happened to a loved one, but I mean, did he have a full recovery or no? That's a good question. So he obviously survived. He's still with us, but he never fully recovered. Um, he's very independent, um, but he's still not a hundred percent mobile. He can't quite communicate a hundred percent. Um, but the guy is the most positive man I know. And it's crazy how much, despite his disability, the amount that he can still do. And it's crazy. We go, we can't go anywhere really anymore without him knowing somebody. And I'm just baffled that this guy is just, he wants me to get introduced to this person or that person. And it's like, wow, how, how do you make this all happen? How are you friends and like, keep connected it's it's pretty cool so it sounds like then his his work life 
had it deteriorated because he was unable to work now. Is that correct? He never went back to work. And my mother was great because I got into college then and she wanted me to live, you know, as normal life as I could, you know, despite this kind of family crisis. And it, and it basically was for the most part. I began, um, surfing more on my own and friends and doing trips with my friends. We did a couple trips down to Costa Rica and, um, uh, various spots in Mexico and what have you. I did a semester in college in Australia, which was amazing. And then, you know, everything was great up until 2007. My mother passed away, um, unexpectedly again. She suffered from epilepsy and, uh, I think maybe missed the medication or something. And that's when things really drastically changed for me. I was living out with a couple friends and I had to move home and really take on really everything in the house. And it was tough because I had to grow up kind of a lot faster than my other friends and they couldn't relate. I couldn't really, they didn't understand what I was going through at the time. Yeah, man. I mean, sorry to hear all that. Like it sounds, you know, with your dad in 2003 having the stroke and then mom passing away in 2007, like in that interim, I know your mom was, was, took the reins and, and ran with it. But like, was, was there now a financial responsibility on you? Like, were you having to send money home to help mom out with the bills or? Fortunately, I didn't have to financially help the family. That was, um, thankfully my dad had put out a, like a life insurance or health insurance, um, with a couple other benefits. So we were fine financially. Um, it was just kind of the responsibility was all put on my shoulders Along with my sister, who was at the time, I think, just turning 16. I was about 22. And so I kind of had to play the father role um, with her, which was a <laughs> a challenge. I can imagine. Yeah. And so this happened in, in July of 2007. And I had set up this trip down to Nicaragua for the first time. Uh, the year before, we were in Costa Rica. And we said, or we heard about... Nicaragua and uh we already had this trip planned in August and when this happened I was like well should I even go down here but the family kind of encouraged me to do it get away and kind of get my mind off it and I'm so thankful I did because we had one hell of a trip and uh actually that that year we flew into Liberia and 10 years ago that that airport was like uh it was like a garage more than an airport and we got there late and crossed the border, probably as late as you can. Oh, so you flew into Liberia to come straight here? To yeah, Nicaragua. yeah. And, you know, it was dark. The, you got like a half mile to walk. And there's no lights. And we've got people surrounding us trying to grab our bags. And we don't know exactly where we're going. And that was, that was a pretty funny circumstance there. But you were familiar with traveling i mean you you had been accustomed to it like you'd been to costa rica so it wasn't a complete shock i mean I nah. know that's kind of still like shocking to have to cross a border at night no matter where yeah. you are how long you've been traveling for but i mean yeah that's that's crazy dude and before we go maybe into your nicaragua experience can we just kind of backpad a little bit because i know you know you expressed having to bear the weight of you know the family kind of all the responsibilities that the adults have been taking care of for you up until your mom's passing. 
you know, where were you at in life? Did you have a job? Like, did you come straight home and what, go straight to work and like you now have to become like the breadwinner for the family and can you just take me through how that all worked out? Um, yeah. So I was in college. I continued doing college um, and graduated in 09. And um, I, like I said, I didn't need to contribute financially to the family, but I did have a job. I worked uh, until Earth since I could work. So I always had a job and nothing really changed with that. You know, I still had my responsibilities I could take care of. It was just a big extra amount of it. I see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then coming to Nicaragua in 07 for the first time, is that when you started making a plan to maybe move here one day? Like how did those kind of pieces start to get set in motion? Yeah, it's a good question. So we showed up in Higante just from rumors of hearing that it's it was great. We didn't set up any hotel, no plans. It was just show up. And we showed up here at about midnight. And I was honestly ready to camp on the beach if we didn't find anything. It turned out that all the places were booked. <laughs> and um, after searching around a little more, we found them. We went up to the Brio and they had some room. Um, fortunately, Rob Dahl, the owner of the Brio, was there, and we met him, and uh, we kicked it off with that guy really well, and we were surfing with him, and it was the surf was amazing when we were here, and we just fell in love with it, and Rob was a great guy. We really jived with him and learned about his story here, and that he had all this land, and I just remember one day we were drinking some Tonyas and looking at each other like, whoa why don't we buy some land? You want to come back in a year and do this? And that was kind of it. And we came back in 08 and bought a little little lot up the hill in the mountain and with no plan at all, really. Just a little surf getaway, a little retreat to come and escape to. And that was, that was it at the moment. Because you're in the grind in the States still. Like you are going back to the grind because you were doing what at the time to make money? Um... I think I was delivering for a Chinese restaurant or okay. something. Because <laughs> you were still in college. Yeah. Okay. So then when you graduated, um, from our, you know, little few stories we've talked about, like you were kind of had set your course to basically become a functioning member of Southern California where you had the job. I believe you were engaged at one point. Life in Southern California was where you had planned to make roots. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, there was no plan really to be down here full time. And I graduated college and got into real estate and I did a couple sales here and there. And I was kind of preaching to my clients, you know, hey, it's, it's, it was like the bottom of the market at that time, like 09, 10. It was just coming back. And I was telling people how it was a great time to invest. And I started thinking to myself, well, why don't I invest? And so it, one thing led to the next and I realized my dad had some equity in his property. And who he, you had financial control over now. Is that correct? I wouldn't say I had financial control, but yeah, I was managing it. And upon my father's approval along with the family, I was able to pull some money out of his house and we bought a condo um, for rental purposes. And then a year later, I uh, decided to pull money out of that one and leverage that to buy another house. Or by San Diego State, and that was like a three unit. So in the matter of two years, I had four rental units, you know, generating a little cash flow. 
again, you know, kind of just setting up some sort of system in California, really setting up my life and, and business. And with these rental properties, I kind of gained an interest in the property management side of things. So I stopped the sales and uh, started working for a property management company. And at that time, that was when I was engaged and looking at it, you know, now I had, I had my dad to take care of my sister, his house, and now these four rental properties getting engaged. And I just felt, um, I mean, I, it was a slow build up to that point, but I think something just switched and I was like, is this really, is this where I want to go? Is this the path I'm going? Cause it's just, I'm pretty deep in it. And, and it was the hardest decision of my life, but I, I broke the engagement off and, um, I just thought that there was more out there for me. That's gnarly. And, and we don't have to go into too much detail on this, but it is interesting. Like this switch that you talked about, cause I, I'd like to bring out maybe was it like a gradual, like little voice in the back of your head or was it literally like one day you woke up and you're like, this is overwhelming. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. You know, like it's, <laughs> it sounds like a pretty big deal that like one day say like, sorry, I don't want to marry you and I'm leaving. It was creeping up on me. It was a little, little, um, talk in my head about it for a while. Was it like, sorry, again, just a relationship or just the life in general in this, in Southern California? Like, can, can you pinpoint really what it was or just it an was, overwhelming amount of things? The responsibilities was a little overwhelming. It was like I had two jobs between my dad and, and my job and then, you know, everything on top of it. And it was good. Everything was good. And I just thought I'm approaching 30 years old. Do I want to, do I want a good life or do I want like a great life? And I don't want to look back and be like, yeah, my life was good. <laughs> yeah. And someone was just like, nah, you want great. And great for you was coming to Nicaragua. Well, at the time I broke off the engagement, I wasn't still, I was still there, but that was a relief in itself. Um, and, and that really opened up my mind to just, I just had this thought process now is I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I got really selfish at that point for a good reason. People think being selfish is a bad thing. I think it's one of the most wonderful things you can do for yourself because if you're constantly giving and giving and that's what I was doing, you, you kind of lose yourself. I don't know. You lose yourself in it. I hear you. I agree a hundred percent. I think selfishness is maybe a word that comes with a strong connotation that people don't want to use. But I think you could say like, I took responsibility for myself for the first time and my life. You know, you had taken responsibility for everyone else's life up until that point, you know, since you had to. And then it's like, no, it's time for Derek. I'm taking responsibility for my life and what I want out of life. And like you said, you could, you went from a good life to like, no, I'm going to take responsibility for a great life. hundred percent. That's epic. hundred percent. Congratulations. Hey, thank you. And although it was a tough decision, man, I, I am so thankful and happy that I did it. And like I said, it opened up a whole world of just possibilities. Let's talk possibilities. What were they? Like, well, I just, some out there. Like, where was your mind going? What were you thinking? It was just, I'm like going to hookers and blow or like, no, no, I didn't get into the hookers. I didn't get into 
drug abuse, none of that. But I was saying yes to a lot of opportunities, trips, outings, you name it. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And if I just figured if I'm not doing what I want to do, <laughs> wasting my life. And then a couple months later, I was like, you know what? I don't really want to go to work anymore. <laughs> like office space. <laughs> Basically, like almost to the T. I was just like, you know what? Well, I could work later. So, and and that was a mix with some family obligations, to be honest. My grandmother was at that moment needed to move from living alone to assisted living. And I need to... I needed to run this estate sale for her property and all this. And I was like, okay, job's out. I'm going to focus on family. And then after that, I traveled a bit. And um, I went all around Mexico. I went to Peru with an old friend slash fling at the moment. And um, had a blast. And, you know, I wasn't working. I had some savings. I was using my credit card just about for everything. And saying, fuck it, I'm going to enjoy myself now and get back to the grind in some way or the other in the future. But right now I'm doing whatever the hell I want to do. It felt good. And um, at that moment I was slowly, I put the properties that I was managing into the property management company that I was working for. I let them manage it. And I was kind of eyeing Costa Rica as a place to kind of come down as my Credit cards started maxing out. <laughs> it was kind of at the end of the road. Because down here, my expenses are very minimal. My electrical bill is about 10 bucks a month. I have my own well. I pump my own water. I'm, it's, it's pretty nice. It's, you know, simple living. I just need to pay for food and, and gas. And uh, it's pretty sweet down here. Can I so, go back real quick and just, you know, with that, that moment of, hitting the road and, and just really starting to live and swiping your credit card. Like how long did that last for? So we get an idea about how much credit card debt you went into. <laughs> I think uh, it was like October, November is when I quit that. And I moved down here in June. So it was, it was like eight months or so. And how much debt did you acquire at this point? I was getting towards 15, 20 K 20 just was sounding so daunting. <laughs> it's like, I got to, Get out of here. I think I'd like to note for anyone listening, as much as this story is awesome and inspirational, nobody here is advising to go into credit card debt in order to fund a world tour. Definitely um, not. <laughs> that can put you in a financial strain that you'll never get out of. So be responsible if you do choose to like set yourself free. Thank you. You hear that, kids? <laughs> Listen to Chapin. <laughs> but I love it. Let's go on. Cause, yeah. I mean, so. So I came down here. Mm-hmm. So you finish your year trip and then you're like, I'm moving to Nicaragua because I can live way cheaper there and have all this credit card debt that I'm just going to ignore for until I figure it out. Yeah. A few years before this, um, my partners and I on the property, we built this little casita, very simple little house. And I thought, Hey, this is a great time. Well, I don't have a job and I'm tight on funds at this point to go try it out. And I thought, oh, let's try it out for three to six months, see what happens. And in two months, it was nothing but surfing and drinking and having fun and not really caring, you know. And after that, I was like, okay, I need to do something with myself. And I started asking around a bit and investigating some opportunities. I'd 
interviewed or met up with Project Wu and had a couple of other investment opportunities, but it included, you know, purchasing the property as well. And it was an investment upwards towards, you know, the six figures, something that I definitely couldn't afford. And I would have had to think pretty creatively. And then, you know, Party Wave was always a really cool spot. And while I was brainstorming what I wanted to do, I always kept going back to that location, not necessarily that business, but just like a little pizza joint or a smoothie spot. And like that little beachfront area would be so cool. And I was talking to Berto, who was running at the time about, you know, what I wanted to do. And he's like, hey, I'm trying to sell this place. And I was just like, give me this. I'm, I'm on. I'm your buyer. And that's kind of how it went. And What is Party Wave, though? Explain to the audience what Party Wave was and is. It's considered a cyber cafe. It's like an internet cafe down here. And it was started when there was really nothing down here. And there was five or so computers and before the whole cell phone explosion, I guess. So it was a, one of the only spots down here. They served a little breakfast and... Really cool spot. Since then, I think everyone down here has internet for the most part. So it's kind of evolved since I took over. It's had to change the business model a bit. Focus a little more on the food, I guess, and the ambiance. But ambiance has always been there, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think this is an interesting point that I just want to bring to the forefront. Because when I got here in 05, Nicaraguans had cell phones. They weren't smartphones. They were just normal cell phones out here in the rural, what we call campesino area, which is where like the farmers and more impoverished people live. And they would sit on their cell phones and to entertain themselves, they would listen to their ringtones <laughs> when they weren't doing anything. And fast forward to an interim of time where Berto came in and saw the opportunity to bring internet to Gigante, which we didn't have for a long time, many years, but he was one of the pioneers of bringing internet to Gigante, had a very successful or a successful internet cafe that then you purchased from him. And then one day you don't need internet cafes anymore because every single person can afford a smartphone, which is just crazy to me. Now we're in a very rural campus, you know, third world country and the poorest people around have smartphones and they're educating themselves about the world on Google. Like that's mind blowing to me. They're, some of them have nicer cell phones than I do. Well, yeah, it's a status symbol, man. They want the iPhone eight or whatever's out there now, <laughs> but let's, let's go back into the, you buying the cyber business, which you bought at the wrong time in the market. <laughs> um, can you give us a ballpark? Like if someone were to come down and buy a cyber cafe in Nicaragua, like what kind of numbers were they be throwing at like a little cafe? Um, I purchased for less than 20 K and that's not with the building. I rent a lot. It's a lot cheaper that way. And it, at that moment it was a, a lighter foot in the door. I didn't know if I could really be down here full time. And that was kind of the turning port point when I was like, okay, I guess I'm down here, but at least, you know, I'm not that deep as if I were to buy the property, I can kind of slip out relatively easily. How long have you owned the business at this point? We're going on two years now. Have you been able to make your investment back? Or are you still? Haven't been able to make the investment back, but uh, living pretty well. Um, my expenses are covered, which are pretty minimal. And living a great life down here. Since I moved down, the old fling that I went to Peru with, 
um, that turned romantic again. And she was living in Miami at the moment. And um, after things kind of turned serious, she quit her job and then moved down here with me. And it's, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, all my decisions. Special lady, I can't wait to get her on the show and hear a little bit about her because she's a a cool lady. Sure, her personality and her energy is through the roof, and so I'm in a a very nice spot down here. I think people, I look back at people in the states, and they're just it's it's a shame because you work nine to five, and you look forward to the weekend because you're not enjoying what you're doing, and then weekend comes and you just get belligerent and you get drunk. And then you're hung over on Monday and then you're just dying for it to be Friday again. And it's just a routine that I just thought most people were in down there and people get caught in this bubble and they don't realize there's so much out there and they think America's this great place. And is America a great, the greatest place? Have you been to every other place? There's a lot out there and there's a lot of beauty in the world. And I think, man, I don't, I feel, like I'm in a bubble here. Like I want to, I want to venture off and see another place. I mean, there's so many opportunities and I think it's a lot easier than what most people think to go and, and make a life somewhere. I think it's a lot easier. And granted, I bought something down here that made it a lot easier for me to just detach and move down, but there's volunteer op- um, opportunities. There's work away. I mean, it's the op- opportunities are there. And it's a good way to get your feet wet, you know, instead of just coming down with this. Because we see that a lot. And I think you'll agree with me that you do get a lot of very ambitious, very enthusiastic, very idealistic individuals coming down and wanting to build their dream life, their idea of a dream life, because they've saved X amount of dollars, sometimes even the millions. And I've watched people walk away after one year. And they might have a lot of land for for what they purchased, but... Their millions are gone and they just don't know what happened because they didn't do the right amount of research. They didn't really know, um, the cultural norms within the business structure here. The fact that there's just so many variables that we are constantly as Westerners learning and working that don't work for, for us. They work against us. So I'm always a proponent of somebody coming down and, and feeling it out, you know, like, yeah, come down, check the volunteer project. Woo is a great one. You know, I mean, there's a million other opportunities for people to come check it out. But yeah, it's to dive head first is you're swinging a very heavy bat. Yeah, a lot of people. Thanks, Chapin. A lot of people say like, hey, you did it. You did it, man. You're one of those guys. And I'm like, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. But anyone could do it. I agree. A hundred percent. There's a lot of a lot more people coming down here. Yeah. I mean, this place is blowing up. I yeah. Mean, it's been said that it's been blowing up since 2000 really it's the but, next costa rica <laughs> yeah but now is like the tipping point i think we all see it now friends of ours who have been struggling for the last 10 years are now making you know american money you know they're making six figures and stuff yeah. like that and the cost of living down here is pennies to the dollar yeah. it's it's crazy can you talk about like what is your cost of living i think you mentioned a little bit but like what does it actually take for you to live down here that's a good question. <laughs> you don't keep very good books. <laughs> well, the the cafe is its own running thing, I guess, to keep that afloat. It's one thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I eat there once or twice a day. So the majority of my food is taken care of, too. That's kind of wrapped in its own, I guess you can say. So 
it's it's next to nothing. Gas is is more pricey here than the states. I gotta say, it's, it comes about maybe four bucks a gallon, what it translates to, and um, I'd say a few hundred dollars a month, really. Depends. But on you how. also have your house, and you have you don't have those expenses if someone were to come rent. You know, like there's opportunities to rent. You know, a little shithole for a hundred bucks a month, or you can get like a Western standard of house, which could be up in a thousand dollars a month or 1500 if you even want to go into a development, you know, so there's a huge range. And again, it's, that's why I advocate, you know, come down and get your feet wet, feel it out, know what the options are rather than diving headfirst into it, which you did. And you did such a good job at it. And yeah, man, it's really cool. And Thanks, I mean, yeah. And so you've kind of touched on this, maybe not being a full-time thing for you forever, I mean, now that you've done this for two years, is it something that you're warming up to the idea about? or? Yeah, I kind of go back and forth whether I want to stay or not, or at least have a cafe, you know, for another two years. It is a good amount of work. It's not like I'm just surfing every day. and But and you, ha- you surf a lot, I, and you surf very well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's, if I'm not surfing, you know, I'm missing the point down here, so... It's a great, great thing to be a boss and run your own business and be able to slip away a bit. Do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Probably not. Like I said, there's a lot of other places out there. My girl is from Peru and there's some opportunity down there we could probably investigate. But there's other, there's just so much out there. <laughs> so it's not like this hankering to get back to the States to jump back into something where you can, you know, you can make more money and, and do that. It's more like, Hey, let's go to Peru and get another cyber cafe <laughs> or another little something and do it there for two years. Yeah. Honestly, like I said, I was wondering if I could live down here full time. Now I don't know if I can live full time in the States again. I go back there just to visit. And it's amazing. It's so comfortable. People have it. They take it for granted how well they're living. But people are running around and they're, they gotta be places and they gotta do this and fill their schedule. And at the end of the day, you know, they're not doing much. And it, I come back and I just get like this culture shock. Like, guys, just grab a hammock and, you know, some, if I, if I were to move, I'd probably be maybe to another country. I can always go back to the States and, and make some money. The more I feel I spend out of the States, I just feel like I'm gaining more experience and more, my life's more rich. I don't know. And I don't know what it is. Maybe the lack of resource, you know, not being on my phone all the time, the internet and catching up with people and what they're doing and what this and that. I'm completely detached here and I feel like I'm more present and enjoying myself and whatever keeps that presence going, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to be going for. I hear you. I think for me, that was something that came to the forefront of me asking what I wanted out of life, which was at one point realizing in Nicaragua, in this little town of Gigante, which we both live in, that I was an active, I was finally an active participant in my own life. Yeah. I had to actively go to the well for the first three years, or five, I don't even know how many years, to get the water, to bring it back to the house, to fill our uh, you know, water tower. The and simple it's things. Like, it's simple. It sucked. I didn't ever like doing it. <laughs> it took me, it took me five hours to fill our little water storage unit. And I had to do that once every three days in the red truck. It took me 30 minutes round trip to get to the well and back. And it was just this tedious. Really? 
it was so pure and so just present because I was here doing it every, you know, and yeah, like you said, presence, man, these environments make you be present because there's yeah. nothing that you can get distracted by. Really? There's no triple A down here. No, dude. <laughs> no, you're uh, you're gonna hitchhike to the next place <laughs> to get a tire. Well, that's cool, man. So for somebody out there who's heard your story and maybe thinks about wanting to make that move, like what advice would you give them? I'd say do it. We only have so much time here on Earth, and I think it, what do they say? If there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot out there and. Just investigate a bit and see what's the opportunities are out there. It's really kind of just go and find out. What I like about your story is, I mean, you have real responsibilities in the States as a young man that you had to take on and deal with. And you found a way to somehow automate those things or bring other family members into the loop to help you out. Maybe can we just touch upon that? Because I think that helps people get perspective on. Well, then how, like, how do you do it? Cause I got a family, I got this and I got responsibilities. Like, how did you take care of those responsibilities that freed yourself up to come down here? Sure. So yeah, I totally kind of skipped out. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I, I've been selfish, but I've helped out my family a lot. And it came to a time where I was just like, I need to see something else. And while I was kind of eyeing Nicaragua and this little house and trying it out for a bit, I was, like I said, I put the properties that I was, that I had gaining some cash flow. I put those with the property management company. So that was all automated and taken care of. I could contact them through email and a lot of the other expenses I put on automation and auto payment. And now my sister has taken a big step forward and she's helping a lot and I'm very thankful for her. She's grown up to be an amazing, responsible, beautiful young woman and I'm really thankful for for her and to have her in my life and, you know, to be honest, if it wasn't for her, I don't know if I'd be down here. For the little things that she does there, as much as things are automated, you know, it's relying on her and like I said, I think that might be something that won't keep me here forever. Might have to go back for something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of a trade-off. You know, I was doing a lot for a while. Now she is. And if she wants to take off, yeah. I see. So you do have that, like, family network of people that you can lean on at this point in your life. But that's it's not always guaranteed. And I've experienced that myself where it came clear after eight years of being here that the family needed me and I had to go home. So... That does happen. Things change, folks. Life does what it does. And sometimes you don't get to necessarily control or choose the exact way you want it to unfold. You're telling me. Well, yeah, dude. I mean, do you have anything else you want to add or close with? I think this has been amazing and enlightening. And I really appreciate you taking the time. You've really taken a step by step through, I think, a really cool life, life experience and, and your path to Nicaragua. So do you want to end with any cool closing statement, profound or? I can say this. Family is really important. And like I said, my family's stepped in and, and has been helping me while I'm out here. No doubt about it. Um, and I miss them. I'm, I'm living a very rich and fulfilling life here, but I do miss my family. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, at this point I have, you know, no mother and 
my father is how he is, but um, I miss them and they're going to be coming down and seeing kind of what I've created down here. And I'm super blessed for them. And yeah, don't, you could travel all over the world. Don't forget your family. Right on. What are, what are you going to take them to do when they get here? Have they ever been here before? My sister has, my dad hasn't, but, uh, uh he'll be blown away. I'll take him around, you know, he got to use maybe the, a rodeo if it's in town. I Who love knows? it. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. I appreciate it. And it's a pleasure. For- yeah, looking forward to bringing you back on another another year and seeing where you're at. Sounds good, Chapin. All right, much Thanks. love, brother. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.